What's up, guys? This is uh, Tangential Advisory Podcast, uh, episode three, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Three, yeah, three, three. maybe four. Season three, I one, think episode three might be right. Yeah. Season one, episode three. That's Neil. I'm Scott. Welcome to the podcast. Just the two of us today, vibing. The vibe. Hey, speaking of vibing, guess what? I just got in. Ugh. A vibe. Uh, right. Ra- nope. Oh, a a uh vibrod oh is a vibraphone. Wait, what? Can you not see it? No, I'm just trying to uh like add add vibe to the name, but that's a new guitar, Neil. Yeah, it's a it's a short scale bass. It doesn't seem that short to me now though. I had a the last bass I had was a uh was a Steinberger outsourced. I I don't know if you know Steinberger, but like they're kind I'm of not super familiar. They're more on like the modern end, or were more on the modern end of like guitar aesthetics back in the good old days, where like there's no headstock and si- instead the strings go in from the the he- where the headstock would be, and then they end up going into where the bridge is as a way to actually attach them. It's a headless bass. But so the last bass I had, shit. yeah, okay, yeah, uh... the last bass I had was a uh, was a bass that was basically abandoned at a church this outsourced i.e it wasn't steinberger but like it was another company using the steinberger uh or steinberg whatever the hell it's called uh so compact style and um like bridge and uh headstock or lack thereof system and uh so that was like a short scale and way shorter than this and it also just kind of felt lighter and shorter because there was no headstock and most of the hardware was down at the bridge uh anywho um, this is just like a GNL uh, bass. The closest thing that you could probably compare it to would be like a uh, uh, a Mustang bass, which, you know, uh, Fender, Mustang, they're a short scale bass. Lots of people like mm-hmm. it for like distorted bass guitar sounds. Um, but I I recently discovered that GNL, which is like one of Leo Fender's uh, companies after Fender, mm-hmm. actually would sell or sells their B-stock instruments just straight on their website. And it, it, they go like, half price from what they sell on like for uh, on the street so to speak mm-hmm. so i i think this one has like pick guard scratches or something but i don't see any issues with like the finish or uh anything like functional uh functionally like build wise wrong with it i gotta right. raise the action yeah. a bit but yeah it's fucking beautiful and i mean pick pick guard scratches are punk rock that's that's exactly. uh authenticity exactly how, how else yeah. am i going to get my sex pistols cred without uh having a little bit of wear yeah but that that's my exciting thing uh outside of video gaming i've mostly just been working uh what about yourself scott uh neil you may not know this but i was actually uh in omaha last week i was right around your neighborhood um i was in your backyard you didn't come out to say hi <laughs> it was 3 a.m yeah well hey I, your I had a very busy schedule <laughs> um so that's like that's probably the big outside of video gaming news i've been into is i went back to omaha for um a friend's wedding and uh just had a, a grand old time eating food that was delicious literally every chance i got i mean i ate so much food neil it it sort of uh, shifted my entire sort of appetite and eating habits when I got home. And I had to, like, over the last week, sort of uh, transition myself back to my work uh, 
sort of my work schedule of like I I almost always eat now at work between like one to one fifteen. That's when I start my lunch break. When I got back, it was like eleven thirty, and I'm just starving. Like it felt like my stomach was caving in. I was just like, I need food now. I've been eating so well the past couple of days. You weren't necessarily uh, um here for a long time though, right? Like a couple it was days. Very short. It was Thursday to Monday of that week. Um, arrived in the afternoon on Thursday and then left in the evening on Monday. Um, ate predominantly... Uh, actually, yeah, what did I... Let's see. Uh, the, the quick highlights. There's a place called Golden Bowl in Bellevue. I was also staying out with some friends in Bellevue, so that's why a lot of my, my food preferences are going to be sort of uh, geared towards the east and south part of the city. Um, but uh, went to a place called Golden Bowl. Really, really excellent Chinese food. Super good. Also, they are flagrantly uh, like going above and beyond with sort of the, uh, the sides. Like they, they throw in two Crab Rangoon for any entree order, whether you want it or not. Uh, my friends that I uh, was staying with, like one of them is... Uh, like vegetarian and the other one is just like a little bit of a picky eater i feel like i've been able to push him out of his comfort zone to some degree with eating but it's just like crab rangoon is not on the list of things he'll eat so neither of them eat them and they've asked this place several times apparently like hey we don't need the crab rangoon like we don't want it we can't do anything with it it's just gonna go to waste and they like the restaurant is just like no, I'm sorry, it comes with the meal. Like, you're taking these fucking crab rangoons off of our hands. And so, because we uh, ordered an entree, essentially, for each one of us, it was like six crab rangoons. They were just looking at me like, Scott, this is, you're supposed to, like, if you eat them, you have to eat all of them. I mean, that sounds about... I did not. There's no fucking way I was doing that. Were they big or something, or are you just health conscious about it? No, it's just a lot of food. Because also the like the portion size at this Golden Bowl place, I think I actually ate that entree that I bought for three meals. And they were sizable. <laughs> it was like that plus rice plus uh, crab rangoon and then a little bit like a small little like a spoonful of lo mein or something. Not anything too crazy. What What is your go to when you go to like an an American Chinese restaurant? Like, do you have the thing? If it's on the menu, you 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 go for it. No, I actually, I poke around quite a bit though. I've become so enamored with like the one good Chinese restaurant we have here in town does the best Hong Kong style chow mein I've ever had. Just so so good that I don't order anything else from there anymore. Um, Wait. So I, I'm not super familiar with chow mein, mainly because like when I get chow mein from certain restaurants, instead of giving you noodles, they give you like the, the little crispy noodles. Yeah, which. Yeah, but that's the thing, too, is it depends on sort of what kind of crispy noodles they're giving you. If they're giving you essentially like long crispy noodles, essentially the same amount of length as, as uh, low mein, um, which I like to call a noodle nest because sort of the way that these noodles are balled up, it sort of looks like a bird's nest. And then if you put the chow mein and sort of like the sauce that it's uh, made in on top of it, it slowly starts to like make the noodles um, a little more malleable, but still crunchy. Delicious. But I've also had it in places, I think in Omaha, 
specifically the last time I went, like I got a chow mein that was, yeah, those like little crispy rice noodles that you'd put in like a salad. A total fucking bummer. Like yeah, not yeah. not the same at all. No good in my opinion. It, it's like, straight the, up the it's cardboard. Good, it's just yeah, yeah. No, but, those suck. Like I would just do lo mein in that case, right? Because okay. Then you're getting actual noodles. But yeah. So that's that's why I I like I put it in the category of here specifically Hong Kong style chow mein, my favorite thing in Missoula. If you ever come up to visit, uh you know, we'll go to that place and uh, it's, it's really great sort of American style Chinese food. Um, but as for a go-to, I don't know, like I dig broccoli beef. I sort of skew away from like the fried uh, chicken sort of, or like the fried chicken or pork style things these days. Like I don't really do sweet and sour or like uh, sesame chicken or stuff like that. Where it's like breaded uh, or not breaded, but the, it's like, yeah, it is like breaded though. In a lot of those, usually it's like it's put into some sort of batter before it's thrown into the wok. Kind yeah, of like, a, like sweet and sour for, pork is definitely fried, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, it, it, I guess it depends on the restaurant you're at because I think I've seen some places straight up just have like a fry fryer or a fryer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you can you can do it in there before tossing it in the wok. But like when I've watched my dad make uh, like sweet and sour chicken or pork or whatever, he does everything in one wok. And I don't know if that's just out of uh, the desire not to make more dishes, but it, usually it turns out like close to what, if not like the same as what you'd expect from like any American uh, Asian restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, but so what about things really like Mongolian beef? Have, do you, do you do the oh, Mongolian beef? Okay. Yeah. Stuff that has mushrooms in it, I am sort of hit or miss on too. Like a lot of Kung Pao chicken, for instance, yeah. has mushrooms. And I like Kung Pao chicken, but I don't like picking around mushrooms if I can help it. So I don't know. Um, I do like if I'm going to go for that sort of fried style uh, meat, though, I, I like General Tso's quite a bit. Like if you make a spicier as opposed to a sweeter sauce, I'm very into it. And I guess around... Uh, I've only encountered it in a couple of places, but like when you get like a honey ginger style uh, sauce for stuff, that's normally pretty good. Um, but I don't do anything that's like outrageously sweet outside of maybe the hun- honey ginger option from time to oh, time. Oh, so no orange chicken or lemon chicken, those things are... No, no, I've done it and I do not like it. It's not for me. I think Chinese food is way better when it's not sweet. Like I think, I think the sweetness is for the American palate for sure uh i I, you're absolutely right my thing at least if if the documentary i watched about general so or general sow's chicken is like to be believed uh part of part of making that dish more palatable and making it into what it's like famously become was the addition of sugar adding sugar to like essentially Mm -hmm. uh adjust it to like the american palate if uh I, I know this tangent's going on and on, if, but there's a video of, um, I, I think it's uh, Anthony Bourdain talking about what to make your vegetarian friends. And he's, mm-hmm. he's just chopping up like a carrot into some big, nice chunks to throw into a saucepan. And then he proceeds to add a shit ton of butter and sugar to it. And he's just like, they're going to love these carrots. They're the best carrots you'll ever have. But <laughs> The carrot part is the part that matters the least on it. Yeah, basically. Well, if you uh, if you cook it, but but you also can't cook it too long because once it becomes mush, 
you lose any sort of texture to it and then mm-hmm. it, i don't know i don't know i'm not a mushy carrot person yeah. No, uh, you, if you get carrots just right, that texture can be very good. I think when people do like honey glazed carrots and they either do it on the grill or they do it with a sous vide, those are like the two ways to get that perfect texture of yeah. both both tender yet firm. Well, going back to Omaha, uh, aside from aside from the Chinese restaurant, like what other notable foods or things did you do while here? Lolly Bella Ethiopian restaurant um, kicks ass, still delicious monstrous portions is that the one on saddle creek yes off of saddle creek very very good you got to try it out sometime uh if you go their spiced tea is a must-have it's so good it's a it's a sweet sort of like uh well spiced tea i don't know how to actually describe it super well but it's got like cinnamon and some other uh it's always popular when i say star anise on this because people love to uh interpret it as me saying a, a different sort of anatomical reference um that's also shaped like a star that's also shaped like a star yes if you've ever read uh kurt vonnegut book you know that uh buttholes and stars have the same basic composition when you draw them um (laughs) but lolly bella was great and then i went to korean grill and i tried to get that uh i tried to get just the base ingredients for that rainbow salad and i got uh laughed and smiled at and then pretend and then the lady pretended as though she did not hear a word i was saying and so i was like I will take that as a very clear, like, uh, no dice, buddy. So it was worth a shot, but it was a total bust. What? Uh, sorry, no speak English? I know, that right? That very specific <laughs> point in time. You had a normal conversation up until that point. And then just, yeah, totally. Like, there's, there's no way you could have possibly asked me about this. I mean, it was like, okay, I hear you loud and clear. Uh, your silence is deafening. Uh, delicious, though. So good. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else super great. I tried Ika. Ika ramen was fine. Um, I didn't go for like the really traditional uh, ramen style though. And that was mostly because I wasn't feeling like super hungry. So I went for something that I figured like it'd be worth experimenting with. Like it was some sort of like korean style i did a lot of sort of korean style food i guess while i was in town but a korean style sort of ramen bowl um with uh oh my gosh what was it it was some it was a uh gochujang like sausage or whatever it was fine i would not recommend it overall i think they probably have better stuff on their menu i I first thought when you said something light that you were going to talk about the i think they have like a cilantro chicken bowl Mm, that'd be yummy or maybe Maybe it's I don't remember. I know cilantro's in it. Maybe it's like sproutin. I think sproutin is in the name because there's a bunch of sprouts and some other things. Sort of reminds me in terms of like what you would expect out of pho, as opposed to ramen for toppings. Although it's obviously not pho, like then mm-hmm. it's not beef based. But uh, were there any uh, events or things you wanted to do while in Omaha? I mean, like I, I'm curious just from the nature of like I. I always hear that there's nothing to do in Omaha, uh, but like, and it's true, it is true. Uh, I I played some tennis, I played some basketball, um, I went rock climbing out at Mahoney. Mahoney's got a really nice rock wall, actually. Um, it's a good setup, and it was very empty. So, also, rock climbing with a mask is incredibly tough on the body. It's just like 
you're doing a lot of like respirating while you're climbing and it's hard when the mask is like limiting that intake i i felt just so tired after a point doing that oh i take it you're using a paper mask in that case or not paper but you know like a no, surgical mask i had a i had a i had a cloth mask with a filter in it and that oh, was too okay. much i would have i should have gone for the surgical mask option but i did not have one on me at the time I've been rocking the uh, like the overpriced Under Armour masks for a while, and those, I they probably don't protect as well, but they uh, they certainly seem to allow you to breathe pretty pretty well in the process. Yeah, and so. now with these new CDC guidelines, apparently uh, masks aren't cool anymore. Uh, Are you fully vaccinated? Yeah, I've been. I was fully vaccinated before I traveled. The, then technically, um, yeah, which was great. Because the lady next to me on my very first flight packed a full lunch so she could actively be eating the entire hour and a half on the plane. I was so mad at this woman. So mad. And then, uh, like, I was a polite seatmate for sure. Me and the guy next to me who looked like he was either tired or he was praying because he was terrified of flying. But he, he seemed very absorbed with his own shit at the time. Um but anyway, you know, it's like I got up when this lady needed to go to the bathroom with no fuss. Uh, I helped her with her air nozzle thing so she wasn't uh, like getting hit with a bunch of the air from it. But she was just like actively and tactically making sure that she was always taking a bite if a flight attendant was coming by. So you knew that like, oh, I'm yeah, I'm eating right now so I can have my mask off and yeah exactly every time you look and uh finally at the very end of it like had the nerve to say like i loved our conversation and i was just like old lady i want to like <laughs> if i could push you off this plane i would so i just grabbed my bag i literally went ha in her face and got the fuck out of there because i wanted to scream at her the whole time not a fun time. And also, you know, it's like I was trying to stay very safe for traveling. So I had like the KN95 mask and then the surgical mask on top of it. And so with the just sort of tension going on around my ears, I was like, I feel like my ears are being pulled off. And this lady is just like trying to huff her breath in my direction the entire flight incredibly frustrating so my next seatmate was an absolute like gift from above when she pulled out a pillow and as soon as the flight was in the air she fucking hit like face planted her face in the pillow and did not wake up until we arrived uh which i respect that there's no way i could do that on a plane but i was very impressed that she was able to just sort of turn off for the entire flight have you uh have you considered ever like using wireless headphones or earbuds, and then just singing things like classic 90s hits like Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls from TLC whenever people try and talk to you? No. Uh, no, I haven't tried that. I don't know if I ever would try that. Uh, maybe sometimes you... I, I'm just saying that like the strategy could be to uh, become even more annoying than the person there with you. I mean, the one time I got passive aggressive on a flight, I literally like turned my nozzle to blow it right at someone next to me. It's just like, you know what? I'm hitting you with cold air. Fuck you. Uh, I can't even remember what made me so upset about that. But I was just like, this person, you're going down in the polite, like in the least confrontational way possible for me. And that is hitting you with all my cold air that I have. <laughs> 
You, you don't remember what caused it? I can't remember what caused it, which was maybe the worst part. I, I sound vindictive in, in this particular description. I, I can't I judge you. I have no way to defend myself on it either. I can't judge you. I, I one time kicked a person's car door in at, at a gas station. Holy shit. Like, so the, the, there were some fucking teenage kids uh, probably driving grandma's car, which is like what makes me feel really bad about it in hindsight. But one of the fucking kids took this, uh, like it was like a styrofoam cup and set it outside their car when there's a trash can like a few feet away and proceeded to like close the door. Like they, they were too lazy to fucking put the fucking styrofoam g- big gulp or whatever. I don't know what it was. Uh, on the fucking ground before closing the door. So as I was walking into the store, I picked up the cup and put it back on their hood. And like this is this is where I know I made my mistake because I could have just taken it and thrown it away. So they got mm-hmm. out of their car, took it out, and put it on my car. And at that point, I saw it happen outside the window, and I fucking bolted out and fucking kicked the door. Like I I don't know what happened to me. Like they they hit your yeah they they hit your like weak point. For sure. There's there's just like people have points that are just like that that sort of uh condition that will make you snap and you don't actually know it until you've snapped. And it is it's hard to come back from that. So that other sucks. things happened after that, of course. Uh pre- yeah. and uh my my Jeep had a big dent in its uh front <laughs> afterwards too, which tricks on or the jokes on them like i didn't fucking give a shit about that car so i wore that dent for the remainder of its days Mm -hmm. uh but god that was Uh, awesome and and when i say awesome i say that from like a very reckless mindset right now i i felt and i still feel guilty about it even to this day but (sighs) we make mistakes in life we make mistakes um Oh shit, I missed the most important part. I almost missed the wedding. It was a two-minute buzzer beater before the ceremony started because they changed the venue literally 24 hours before the wedding was supposed to start. And uh, there was no sort of indication about it unless you went back and checked like the... uh... Oh shit, what's the website? I can't remember. Zola? I think Zola, yeah. If you didn't go back and check the Zola website or you weren't at the event where they decided like, ah, inclement weather, uh, we're going to go ahead and change the venue to a different location. I and about four other people show up at the original location out in Springfield, Nebraska to find out that it's being held downtown in 25 minutes and make a 23-minute mad dash from Springfield, Nebraska to downtown Omaha. Literally, like plop my butt in the seat upon arrival and you know like less than two minutes later we've got music playing and uh, the officiant is starting the ceremony um just sweating bullets trying to make it in time but we did it but that was terrible i'd never cutting it that close uh very unpleasant not fun at all i i take you usually plan to be there like with time in advance so there's no rush no i like to have like 10 minutes ahead of time at least so that was actually the thing that saved us is we were like 10 minutes fashionably early and then they pushed the event back 15 minutes for the downtown location so that's how we got 25 it was like got there realized literally no one was there thought we had the wrong address double checked a couple times you know another 
another person showed up to also see the wedding out there and then everybody's just like oh shit we've we've got to get downtown right now because uh one of us texted a groomsman that we know and he just it was like is the wedding not in like we're at the wedding place nobody's here and the groomsman just sends back oh no so i i think that's more yeah. a failing of the the planners or the people in oh, charge absolutely. of getting invites yep. and stuff out completely so oh, yeah. but we made it so no harm no foul except for the just intense stress that was bearing down on my poor chauffeur kyle um at what point would you have decided, ah, we don't make it to the ceremony, but we can go to the reception? Uh, was that ever a yeah. thing? If, if it was like, if it was the ceremony starting now and there's no feasible way we could get there, it's just like, ah, shrug, okay. I don't know. Because the alternative is like, you show up and you interrupt the wedding. And no one's like, right? If everyone else is there, no one's going to give you mercy. They're going to think you're, you're an absolute idiot for not showing up but you were just left out of the loop along with the bride's uh advisor from college karen shout out to karen uh first friend we made at the wedding <laughs> boy yeah i don't know you you probably have to yeah i'd i'd probably you know cut my line at that point because i feel like it's it's worse if you show up as sort of an interruption in some way yeah 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 don't want to be i don't know don't want to don't want to cause any sort of event or thing that could distract from what's going on mm-hmm. but that's that's it for the omaha saga um let's see i've got i rode my bike for the first time uh this year and uh I don't know what the difference is this year to last year but i feel like i bruised my butt so bad after riding yesterday and i definitely didn't ride any more than i have before but i can like feel it when i sit down that this bike seat has caused harm to my body so <laughs> i guess i need a cushier bike seat over the years your butt becomes more sensitive maybe i don't know apparently so i i, re- um, I recall seeing like a lot of really nice bikes with really shitty butt rests or seats whatever seats. Is it something that's expected that you change it out like immediately? I think so. I think it's one of those things where it's just like you're going to opt for the third party model for sure. And the bike manufacturer's like, ah, oh, we can save some money. So the bike like the bike will be cheaper for you, but it's also this like tacit understanding. It's like you're going to feel better spending this like I don't know how much a bike seat costs, so uh forgive me for how wrong I could be. But you're you're gonna save a bunch of money or you're gonna save the fifty to seventy-five dollars or so on the bike let's just say a hundred for a nice round even number you're gonna save a hundred dollars on the bike but you're gonna turn around and spend it somewhere else for the bike seat and your brain may process that differently right sure yeah it, it gives you the option of being able to get something more affordable or you can justify if you you're use a cheap the... skate, you can bruise your butt yeah which is it sounds like you're using the stock bike seat I don't know if I'm using the stock bike seat. I I actually think I tr- traded out the bike seat, if I remember correctly, for a softer one that I had. Oh, I gotcha. think that, yeah, I think the bike seat I had was worse, and I've actually traded up. But it's it's all like hand-me-down or cannibalized parts for the most part. I haven't gone out and bought like a nice cushy bike seat. But I will probably have to do that if I'm going to be riding like 25 miles. 
Well, so if we're putting aside non-video game talk. It's video game time. Yeah, and uh, you started playing something. Yeah, it's this... Well, I don't want to like... I don't want to step on sort of your niche game... uh, Your niche game like expertise or credit, but I've found this series of games that's pretty cool. A little weird. It's from this uh, developer called Spike Chunsoft, which I think you'd be into them if you tried it out sometime, Neil. Oh, really? Uh Yeah, (laughs) I didn't think so. Um, But this game I picked up is called uh, Zero Escape uh, Nine Persons uh, Nine Doors Nine Hours or something of the sort. Uh, We'll just call it 999 to be easy. Um, And it's kind of wild because there's not actually nine people involved. there are eight people and uh, a bunch of like human paste in a room, and that's <laughs> and the game has been interesting so far. I think maybe the thing that I've noticed about these Spike Chunsoft games now that I've also uh, finished and sort of experienced I the Somnium Files is they're so dialogue heavy. Um, I really I knew that there was supposed to be. Um, I knew there was supposed to be branching paths, but so much story stuff happened before I got to make anything that looked like an active decision that I was just like, is this a visual novel? Like, did I just escape this room and now I just read the rest of the game? But the actual, I mean, the puzzles are satisfying, though I truly thought I was uh, like absolutely fucked at playing this game because you, you had mentioned this like root number system and it hadn't been, or digital root, yeah. You'd mentioned the digital root system, and I didn't know when that came into play. And I get this first puzzle with shapes that correspond to a key for codes. Ooh. And I didn't find the other piece of paper for so long. And I'm just like, I, I literally worked every single angle I could on trying to interpret the, uh, the piece of paper and got, got nowhere with it. Yeah, you're, you're not alone. That happened to me, too. It's a really it's, simple puzzle if you have all of the pieces of paper. Yes, it's very easy if you have everything, but I didn't, like, I think what happened is I clicked this bed, but not the pillow, and it was like, it's just a bed. And I was like, oh, okay, won't look there anymore. Um, yep, yep, that's exactly yeah. it. Which is, it's hard to tell what's interactable, which is the one catch, because, like, if you're actually in the situation that it's putting you in, which is a small room filling with water as this ship is sinking you are going to literally unearth and sort of upturn everything in the fucking room but in this case you know it's just like i click the bed well it's just a bed and it's like okay like do i have to if i you know you have to click the pillow to look under the pillow specifically but it's just like what if i want to look in between the sheets do i have to click like this tiny little sliver of sheet that's poking out like i am concerned that there's going to be things hidden in the room and it just will not register to me to click the very specific spot that will trigger it well did, did you ever play that uh that old uh flash game um no crimson room no okay because it was only after i found it under the bet uh under the pillow uh so i to give a little context for you guys in chat uh the puzzle we're talking about the escape room puzzle we're talking about is the very first puzzle you get to and it's very early in the game right away it's it is the very start of the game you have yeah 50 lines of dialogue and then you're in the puzzle and and the puzzle itself 
hardly even constitutes as a puzzle because it, it's basically like gives you an answer key yeah it, it's more or less here's an answer key so like if it, it it's literally like i'm trying to think of a great a good comparison but like it doesn't get any simpler than that it's such a simple puzzle you just have to find the pieces of paper so it's more like escape room than like puzzle in this very specific scenario mm-hmm. and which is good because it does uh i think it does say escape the room yep. like right before it starts uh in like very a very video game-esque sense too uh but mm-hmm. but so looking under the pillow it wasn't until after i found it underneath the like this piece of paper under underneath a pillow that it occurred to me like oh this is almost very similar to the crimson room which is like this escape the room flash game that came out like when i was in high school uh or maybe a little after i don't recall but like straight up i i I don't i don't necessarily know if this game if 999 came after crimson room or what but i feel like crimson room in some way kind of brought to light the escape the room aspect in a video game the oov yeah (laughs) the oov uh but uh it, it, it it's funny or weird but like i felt like i felt dumb because if i had just remembered crimson room which this game may or may not be in some part kind of influenced by at least from the mechanical standpoint that would have been the first place i checked underneath the pillow because there's a key underneath the pillow in crimson room mm-hmm. uh so i don't know if that's kind of meant to be a very similar sort of uh or a, a reference even or if it's just a common place that you would hide something in this sort of scenario underneath the pillow obviously you put money under your pillow i have a pretty key key question for you about this too and that is when i first started it because i didn't know that there was that other strip of paper right i found one that was very easy to find i think it's literally on like sort of a little pin board or something and then i found uh two colors of keys and this this hint is essentially shapes that are also in two colors and the idea is that you're actually using another piece of paper and a key to put together like the two the two code numbers on one piece of paper in blue and then the two code numbers on another piece of paper in blue to create the blue code and then for the red thing you know two red on one sheet two red on the other sheet with a red key for a red code um because I didn't know about this other piece of paper, I put the blue key in the blue briefcase, but then I actually went back and reloaded the whole thing, which once again, I didn't save at a, at a point before I had inserted the key. And I thought, oh no, am I supposed to insert the red key first because the red code starts first on this piece of paper? I went all the way back through the, the beginning crawl of the game uh, with its like opening cinematic and then the dialogue and then the memory about uh, getting gas canned and tossed in a room. And uh, I realized that I couldn't actually put the red key into the blue briefcase, which is what I thought maybe I had to do was add the red key, put in two numbers, then switch it out, add the blue key. It's like the question that I ended up sort of asking myself once I solved the whole thing and realized what happened is... Are item interactions specifically locked so you can't accidentally uh, skip a step? Or, you know, like, if you, if you do something out of order in a game like this, you could potentially, like, screw up the flow and maybe lock yourself in a corner if the puzzle's not well designed. I was very concerned about that and wondering if there are 
misuses or mistimings on when you do uh like item combinations or uh item uses in a escape scenario i think in an escape scenario i think the best way to answer this would be that one there's never a way to lock yourself out of progression when it comes to the puzzles Mm -hmm. uh and two there might be a case here or there where the game forces you to work under junpei's understanding I, I don't remember this coming up, but I could be wrong. Obviously, it's been a long time since I played the game. Which is to say that, like, let's say, let's say you see a uh, an oddly shaped, um, I'm trying to think of what a good thing would be, an oddly shaped knife, a knife that seems to be really disfigured, and like, there's like cuts and things in the knife, right? And there's a keyhole uh, or to a door. You might, as the player, immediately think. That knife is the key. But you might have to do something to inform Junpei that the knife is the key, so to speak. So before oh, before you like use the knife. You need to look at the item multiple times. That was the other thing I noticed too. Is it's like the first time I looked at something, Junpei's like, uh, I'll just use an example that doesn't exist, which is or if it does exist, I mean good on me for coming up with this. <laughs> but like you ha- you find a rock, right? And if you don't do anything, if you don't hit the search function for the rock, nothing ever happens. But you're just like, I know this is a rock. Um, And I've got like, let's say, a glass window in front of me that I'd like to escape out of. And so Junpei, like, I can't do anything with the rock at that point. And then I hit search when I'm holding the rock in my inventory. And Junpei goes, this is a rock. It's comprised of minerals. Okay. And then I still can't do anything with it. Does that, that means that it seems like there might be a certain point where it's like Junpei looks at it again and he goes, you know what? This is a rock. Rocks are hard and good at smashing things. I could use this rock to smash open that window. And so like on the second search, he's like processing the information that is obvious the moment that you find the said rock or whatever. Because I've definitely noticed where Junpei like... I did. I I essentially used search on um, a couple items multiple times just to see like, oh, there's mo- there's more than one instance of dialogue that is triggered if you're hitting search. Like multiple hits of search will give you additional dialogue, but it does it does feel or it seems sometimes where it's like, okay, Junpei, thanks, you idiot. Like, of course. I'm looking at, you know, the key to the to the puzzle, for instance, in the first one. And it's just like, so this corresponds to this and that corresponds to that. And I'm like, yeah, it's shown on the paper, like right there in front of me. And he's like, so it must be some sort of key system. I wonder if there's like a site. It's a cipher for a code. And then it's just like, I wonder if I look at this other piece of paper, Junpei will be like, this is a code. There must be a cipher somewhere. Uh- <laughs> to kind of to kind of add on to that like yeah that that, that's absolutely absolutely intentional because the idea is that the more you're looking looking at items or a player would necessarily feel compelled to look at items it's either for it's either for one of one or two reasons i'd say they need help or stuck yeah they're they're stuck or they just want more flavor text which is like i i think it's entertaining with the you know it's made for you neil it is absolutely made for you in that case you will you will come across some points where like you can look at things which are obviously not 
essential or integral to the puzzle. And if you look at them a couple times, the, the text just gets funnier and funnier. Just like how, you know, if you kept looking at the receptionist in I, uh, the Somnium Files. It did get better and better. Yeah, yeah. It, it started off as it's there's a receptionist behind the desk. There's a receptionist with big boobs behind the desk. There's big boobs behind the desk. Like, yeah. it, it's, <laughs> it's not nearly as childish or, like, uh, uh, potentially offensive because... Yeah. Like, the mood of 999 is way more mature than I, the Somnium Files. Um, also, I, like, justifies without... without Date being a... Yeah, yeah just, like, without giving spoilers, weird. it justifies... There's, like, a story justification to why Date's a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe the thing that I still love the most about I, the Somnium Files, is how how just, like, absolutely off the rails Date is as a person. When everything else is like fairly serious, like he is this just weird sort of in, infusion of id into what is otherwise like a pretty solid and interesting murder mystery. I guess the boss too. Like the boss has some like her office alone is just sort of this thing to sort of delight you with like, what weird shit is this? Like I'm going to look at every object in this room. Yep. You better believe it. I, it, yeah. what is it like one of the recurring jokes in i is that like there's a situation that's kind of it, it's not even that it, it's not like anyone's even under duress but then date is just like should i shoot him <laughs> yeah <laughs> let me shoot him <laughs> and then i asked to be like no what what the fuck are you saying calm the fuck down I- Date is a police officer oh, fuck. <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> just fucking wild um uh, but yeah, um, but but to reiterate, you might have to look at an object once to discover something about it or to process mm-hmm. something for Junpei, but you would never have to look at it more than once from what I remember. Like, you just have to do it okay. that one time. And that that's if you need to. Like, th- there's a strong possibility that you won't need to actually look at the item to get it to work properly. Yeah, once again, spoiler, for instance, like, as soon as they teach you how to combine items, like... I got, I think the first things I ever picked up were uh, that code and then a picture frame. And it was like, you can combine items by going into your item screen and then clicking combine and clicking the other item and put them together. And I'm like, okay, these two things have no relevance whatsoever. So like, I'm not even going to fuck with this mechanic for now. And then the next thing I find is a screwdriver and I'm like, I have a picture frame. Okay, combine these two items and it works instantly. And that's very nice and intuitive. It's immediately just like, Yep, makes sense. It's got screws on the back. I have a screwdriver. I possibly, like, what else am I going to do with this? Put it in an electrical outlet? <laughs> I don't want to live! So <laughs> I'm going to speed run this game. So how far how far have you gotten in, uh, in 999? starting the next escape, because holy shit, there's so much dialogue. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's literally like you're playing a novel. A visual yeah. novel, I guess, you know, for you. Hey. I also, um, once again, this is this is for the small stream crew. Uh, it, like as soon as everyone's introduced, it's just like, ah, yes, I've heard every single one of these voice actors before together in another anime or a different anime as well. And it's just like, I don't actually, I don't dislike hearing the same voice actors' voices all the time, mostly because I listen, like, I'm more of a sub than a dub person. So it's just like. It is actually a little bit harder for me to associate because these voices are speaking a different language. I think it's harder for my brain to like really lock into who's oh, who. Oh, you're listening to the Japanese um, dub then? 
No, I'm not listening to Japanese dub. I'm listening to the English dub for oh, okay. uh, 999. But it's just saying like, uh, my friend Kyle, whom I love dearly, is a total scrub and loves dubbed media. And I just like can't do that for the most part. He's just like, oh, that guy is from this, this, and this. And I'm like, I would have no idea. I'm cultured. I sub, my friend. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is also like... The voice acting is good. I'm really glad, actually, that I have the voice acting for that, and that is exclusive to the Steam version, from what I understand. Yep. Uh, yeah, or it's really, remake it's really nice. Like, I want to listen to them voice act the lines as opposed to just read the text. Except for Zero. Zero is very annoying and hard to understand with the voice acting. Uh, they're doing a good job of making it sound like Zero has a gas mask on because hell if I know what they're saying sometimes without sort of the text. Um, and so I do sort of skip through those a little bit more, which I'm sure reduces sort of the, the narrative weight that it's supposed to have that this scary guy is talking to you through the gas mask. But I'm like, bro, I can't understand you. Like, we're just going to go ahead and fly through this explanation real quick. There, there's also something like unexpected about the speech pattern too. It's like, yeah, zero, the, so. the timing is a little different than what I expect sometimes when I'm reading the text and then hearing it. Yeah, at roughly the same time. Um, overall, very excited to like dig deeper into it. I loved the puzzles of I the Somnium Files, but these puzzles seem like they're going to be a lot more clear cut too. Like I the Somnium Files, the the hardest thing about the puzzles is just like, oh, it's dream logic, and so I can't apply actual logic to it, and that made me feel very like out of sorts with how to tackle or approach problems obviously you bend the bar in order to open up the steam valve which which then blows up the balloon and then by blowing up the balloon that raises your head because your head's getting bigger at the same time as the balloon so you end up floating up into the second floor makes sense yeah it makes total sense (laughs) um yeah, you dribble the spinning panda bear, uh, of <laughs> course. So <laughs> it is It is nice, it seems, from at least that first puzzle, that it's going to be at least, like, it's going to be doable. Like, I, don't, I feel like if I get stumped, there is enough sort of support or help. And it also seems like the dialogue is meant to uh, nudge you into thinking about things in a certain way. Because I, when I just saved, I finished a conversation about, like, ice that never melts and then there's like this bottle of water by a uh, bedside and i'm just like huh this glass container and we're talking about ice that never melts i'm like and i have matches i'm gonna be like fiddling around with some temperature stuff or something like that i think wait so um, so the oh god the fucking i remember thinking at that point in time that this game had like metal gear solid levels of exposition like because I take it... Uh, Have you heard of uh, King Tutankhamen? And the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like the dialogue. I'm just like, what does this have to do with anything? And then they finally get to the end where they're talking about the water element of it. Like, saponification. Saponification is the process of, uh, you know, something turning into a soap. And it's just, uh, yeah, it reminds me of the same kind of like Joker meme that I saw once with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where every, one, every once in a while it's like the narrator is just like, virality, virality is about the, uh, <laughs> like, uh, the, and 
going into this sort of exposition about that. I totally collapsed on the mimicry of it, but it's been a while since I've seen the meme. But yeah, it just like, it gets way into exposition on this. And I go, this better be fucking, like this better have a point because otherwise I don't even know where this line of like conversation or reasoning is coming from. Is and also I get, it is an indicator as well. And I remember you talking about this game a bit. Like, I'm going to have to take every path is sort of the feeling I have because it's a Spike Chunsoft game. And the one time I did a Spike Chunsoft game, I had to take every route. And I appreciated taking every route too. Like, I thought that was actually to the game's benefit and not its detriment to sort of double back and overlap with like greater context and understanding. It's a cool thing in the medium that you can't do, I think, as neatly with something that is not a video game. Um, though I guess it's been done maybe a couple of times in film to some success. I think it's something like Memento, where you're sort of like overlapping information and giving the omniscient viewer uh, more and more to piece things together ahead of the characters or outside of the character's skill and ability. Well, but, I, mean, I, I think it goes a long way to say something that like, I, the Somnium file, since that's the game you have experience with, could not be an anime in my opinion. If, if it did, no fucking way. I, I think it, yeah, it would be way too complicated. I think to try and come up with a fluid, uh, a fluid way like to start to finish that actually feels like everything's timed, right? Yeah. How do you not shake people off in that format where they feel like something's resolved, but it's not actually resolved, right? I, I guess, like, I don't know. You have you would have to do this thing where you have to figure out exactly what story points are optimal to hit in something like I, the Somnium Files. And then I guess you play it, what, sort of like, it's been so long since I've seen this one, but like ReZero has sort of the resetting of events or a timeline changing and adjusting. I feel like people liked that about that show. But, but the main character is also experiencing that in a linear, uh, uh, or yeah, a linear sense. Whereas yes. I, the Somnium Dante Files... doesn't know until it all like collapses in to itself. I mean, from the, multiverse theory so, or so spoilers, but does he ever technically? Maybe he doesn't. I'm yeah, yeah, okay, okay. It's huge. Iba. It could be Iba. Well, These huge, huge fucking Iba Somnium file spoilers. Um, what happens? Which, if if anyone has any interest in playing that game ever, I would I would bounce out for five minutes here because it is, it is a magnum opus of like tying a ribbon in storing t- in storytelling just like taking a mess and turning it into a masterpiece yeah it like it, mute for a few minutes I'll, I'll keep it really brief the 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 thing that makes uh or i mean to to very specifically talk about whether or not um whether or not date is actually aware of what's happening there's one ending in particular where he uh he um he tells uh what's her face um the fuck oh i can't think of the fucking girl uh mizuki a set Mi- uh, oh, he tells mizuki no. that like you know hey i still have to like we still have to go out for either ramen or whatever whatever food you promised you would get uh take her out for in one of the mm-hmm. very first uh branch branching paths so like mm-hmm. the the game is essentially separated between whether or not you uh can cure mizuki or not um in that mm. first somnium right if you if uh if you can't i think it's if you can't but it doesn't it doesn't matter uh but wh- whichever one it is 
you you promise to her that you're going to take her out for like ramen or take her out for something or other um but if you go down the other route he ends Dante up they remembers that promise yeah the- and, and there's something about crying too like like hey you cried for me when you thought i was dead and that was on a completely different route too so Date yeah. retains some semblance or memory of what's happening. But it's jumbled. But yeah, I, I don't think like he, he immediately just brushes it off not uh, like not long afterwards. Like or anytime mm-hmm. he seems to th- remember things that he shouldn't, he's like, I I don't know. I don't know how I remember these things. And just is like, all right, I guess that's that. Mm-hmm. It, it's not necessarily essential to the story in some case. But but so the whole thing is that like the, those feelings of like you realizing what's going on in I, I, uh, I, Somnium file. I, I don't think you can, you can in a similar way deliver them with like the same urgency or power that you can within the video game format. You can't, you can't deliver the sense of like self doubt and the desire to go back and replay things yourself. Like without, without making a TV show that literally had you or an anime or tv show that literally had you choose which episodes to play based on the decisions that you would make in cliffhanging mm-hmm. or cliffhanger endings mm-hmm. like the closest thing i can think of in a very 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 Loose different sort of mood would be uh like markiplier has done like choose your own adventure videos where mm-hmm. you you watch him go through a heist in like a museum or something and if you think you should go down this hallway you click on this link and if you think you should go down this hallway you click on that link but i don't know how i know this um but given that i've never finished or watched this uh that to completion so to speak i don't know if there's necessarily like a powerful emotional uh payout or payoff in fact i'm pretty sure there probably isn't since it's mostly just comedy Mm -hmm. uh but but how do you make that into an anime and or an anime or like a movie or something? I, I don't think you can. I'd agree. You probably can't. But or if you do, it seems to trivialize things because like you could say that Bandersnatch on Netflix was sort of like an experimental attempt at that type of storytelling. It was non-serious in how it worked. But um, and and yeah, maybe that's the reason why it was framed that way too, as being like super non-serious for certain outcomes, because it was just like, how else are you supposed to take it if not like in a playful or experimental way? Right. But game like I the Somnium Files makes it feel like there are actually stakes, um, and the reason that you're going back is not only to explore more, but it's also like I have failed in some way. Like you're feeling some sort of failure or motivation to fix a mistake. And um, and in the process, given that the game takes place over, I think a matter of days in in game, yeah, like four days maybe. It gives you an opportunity to hang out with and like learn about characters that you don't in other routes. Like you spend more time with one character in one route, they get more development as a result. Like Ota, yeah. for instance, you, uh, who I think was just like a fucking shit bag for most of the game. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Until uh, until you actually get to spend some time with him, and, and then he, you realize he is a shit bag, but he can change. <laughs> he's a shit bag, but like he he's an endearing shit bag, you know. Yeah, yeah. For the record, I still follow Ota's uh, Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but uh, yeah. I, I guess I don't I don't need to like badge you too much on nine 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 at this point. I'm I'm glad you're playing it. Yeah, I'm I'm just getting in, but I do feel like it already really 
it really forced my hand on it was just like do you take your uh friend so i i chose to actually have june your like childhood friend and i think santa come through door five with me at first or like open it up which is where uh the ninth man uh exploded and i was like oh i didn't think about this uh because it immediately traumatizes june and um then it asks later it's like do you push against the group decision uh, to like have you go through door four with like Lotus, June, and Santa, or like do you accept that, or do you push against it and take you know like and and go through door five, which will also probably expose June to it? And it's just like because I had chosen June earlier, I'm just like ah well, I probably can't do that twice. I don't know what level of pressure I can put on this character till they break. So I ended up taking the route first where I go through door number four. Okay, I think I know. I think I know. I think I remember some of those elements. Who's with you in that one? Door four is Lotus, you, and Lotus, seven? Santa, June. Oh, okay, okay. No, no, no I see. I, I think I remember. All right. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a nice little interesting gimmick of being forced to take people with you based upon their bracelet number. Mm-hmm. And achieving that digital route. But it is it is cool, especially for I guess for a storytelling game it makes the most sense. But I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing more sort of like forced situations like that for party composition in other games. Like I feel like for JRPGs it would be nice every once in a while to like get sort of locked more uh like more forcefully into having certain uh like party compositions so while it's not a while it's not a japanese rpg specifically it's a jrpg in style i've been playing yeah. a, a game that uh that has uh very specifically forced party compositions uh that you know their personalities and the characters come out and so forth and full is that xenoblade no, though, uh, that game okay. really doesn't force you too much on party compositions. It's called Jin Chronicles. It's a, it's a game that was touted as being Chrono Trigger plus Social Deception. Like, so Chrono Trigger plus Among Us? What? Mm. What's this? Um, I, I'm not going to talk about this too long. I, I feel like I've, I've been streaming a bunch of it, and I don't... Uh, I feel bad for being really critical about the game without having finished it yet, if that makes sense, because I'm, I'm in it for the long haul at this point. But this game's been kind of, it's been kind of a trip. So Tiff found this game just with the sort of headline that it's a JRPG with social deception elements to it, which, you know, mm-hmm. you immediately will think of like Mafia, Werewolf, Among Us, whatever. Um, and in its early promotional imagery, the the menu that is shown is specifically one where it shows the nine characters in the three by three grid, you know, three columns, three rows, and uh, three columns, three rows, three doors, <laughs> and you you have the ability to change the label for each of these three or three, excuse me, each of these nine characters from unknown, which is what it's set to, friend, foe, and either. So unknown as the developer put it, is always wrong, meaning that that's just the the blank state. Neutral state. Yeah, yeah. so you can set them as either friend, foe, or they could be both. They could be either. What does that actually mean? Who knows? frenemies. It means you you love them, but you hate them. But, uh, so 
I, I was making the assumption that at some point in time, maybe there were going to be loops involved or something like they'd, you know, you'd go through a portion of the game and then you'd go back to the start and you'd, uh, things would change each time. Like Nozia was on my mind, basically. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Or uh, Raging Loop. Um, but the the game is turning out to be completely different from what I expected it to be. It seems way more traditional uh, within the sense of story. Well, storytelling quote unquote in that it there there has been no vote off at this point there's been no point where you we needed to actually at least as far as i can tell figure out or know who is a friend and who is an enemy mm-hmm. and the protagonist is like the the pov character is constantly changing too which draws in even more confusion about like what is the friend and enemy relative to because it seems like we're playing on two very different sides at times where we are actually fighting, we're we're having party members fighting other party members, people in that nine fighting other people, uh, uh, other people within that group of nine characters. So is the friend and enemy and foe or friend foe and either supposed to apply to whoever you're playing as at that point in time. But Mm. when you change POV characters and never change it, like the, the vote, menu is never reset so it seems to be a static setting that you're supposed to find out and and the game i think is just applying like a very black and white sense of morality that like there are two interlopers or two people that you shouldn't trust and the rest you can maybe i i don't know but uh it's been a little bit of a dumpster fire because uh there's absolutely zero exposition like there is i don't think there has been one line of narration at all in the game proper and instead there's like there are like very short sentence or very short paragraph summaries of what the story beats are uh in there are some games where like there's a there's a menu option to go and you can see what the story has been so far right uh Mm -hmm. so so this game has that but like the story summaries often do not actually get expressed in any way or form through the actual gameplay if that makes sense so the very first thing you do outside of like an introduction where your characters get where some characters get killed off by like a super strong boss encounter that's like that's a super common trope in a lot of games right uh you end up waking up as a character named levi and there's no there's no dialogue there's no nothing you just wake up and you're out of your bed and you have no idea what the hell you're actually doing. And if you had the presence of mind to go and look at the summary, the story summary, you would see that Levi wakes up with no idea what he did the night before or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, well, he could have had dialogue to express his confusion or be uh, like his his confusion or uh, his uh, mysterious circumstances that he may or may not be in. But mm-hmm. like, there's nothing of that nature. And the first companion that you meet is is this well i I guess rather let me let me step uh take one step back uh the first time you meet another actually important character is when you go up into someone's bedroom and you find some honey and if you if you look at the honey it lets you choose whether or not you want to take it or leave it i chose Mm -hmm. to leave it because i'm not a thief i am not a criminal uh, meanwhile i have the achievement in omori for stealing twenty dollars from ken's room (laughs) But uh, even uh, despite not, not wanting to take it, 
this character named Jen comes up the stairs behind me and is like, hey, that's my honey. Don't take it. Or like, <laughs> I'll take your life. And you're forced into a battle, which uh, after you beat her, someone else comes into the room and is like, hey, I need your two. I need your help, Jen. Uh, and she uh, and he proceeds to tell her some things he needs. And Jen's like, OK, well, I got to do this first. And then the main character in his first line of dialogue ever by this point in the game, which is like maybe 40 minutes or 30 minutes into the game of running around and exploring is, hey, I'll come and help you too, Jen, or I'll, I'll come and help you too. Let's go and do this quest, which is like from, from the player's perspective, you just met this girl who tries to kill you because she thinks you're taking her honey. And I'm not, this is not a euphemism. It's literally a jar of fucking honey. Mm -hmm. Like, and and after surviving her attack you you feel you the, the the this character feels compelled to be like yeah sure i'm not doing anything i'll help you save your dad or i'll help you find your dad mm-hmm. what what and it's it's only until like 4 hours later that you have a cut scene between these two characters that seems to imply that they are friends or have been friends for some time but even then they never explicitly say things like hey remember when we were kids and we did that thing it's more just like a very natural conversation that two friends would have like hey i'm gonna go get some more honey i'm not even fucking joking i'm gonna Mm -hmm. go collect some more honey do you want to join yeah sure let's go collect some more honey and they end up end up passing out together like falling asleep taking a nap in like a grass field together afterwards after having too much honey which i would certainly think implies that they have some sort of friendship uh beforehand but there's Mm -hmm. no actual exposition or or cleverly disguised npc dialogue or anything that indicates a past between these two characters so it's like going into a story where like the game automatically or the the story automatically assumes you had watched or played or read the first oops sorry the first uh the first iteration of it and you're now jumping into part 2 is what it feels like but there's no prequel or there is no first iteration yeah, yeah and so you're kind of at a loss half the time of trying to understand like what is going on in the world it's it's like the story doesn't have any world building or any prior character development like everything that you're learning about the characters is happening at that very specific point in time but there's no narration or really not a whole lot of uh of as i put it cleverly disguised exposition through npc dialogue or anything else like Mm -hmm. instead a lot of the npc dialogue seems to at times be kind of meta breaking where or not even meta breaking but more like game hint influenced like someone's telling you don't go and fight the star love enemy the star love enemy is tough and so when you encounter the star love enemy and you're forced into a boss battle with a star love enemy by the way uh it one shots your characters and so that Mm -hmm. becomes a whole nother that that's a whole nother topic of discussion the balance in the game uh which i'll get to real quickly but my my whole point is that it's like I I I kind of feel like the person writing this game doesn't necessarily have a grasp on storytelling to begin with. And so like while there are interesting things, potentially interesting things because it's kind of hard to grasp what's actually going on, there's not necessarily a a way for those elements of the story to be conveyed. Uh and I initially thought that it was just minimalistic like old RPGs were like if you're playing Final Fantasy, you know, 
Like you, you, you talk to a person that says, oh, pirates attacked this town. And like that's supposed to be your trigger to be like, well, I should probably go check out that town that's getting attacked by pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but e- even then, it, it seems to at times lack a, a degree of foresight and like understanding that even those games necessarily didn't or like, you know, didn't have issues with or maybe didn't even need to worry about because in games like that you you didn't have characters you more just had party members that existed mm-hmm. you know graphical uh, but, representations of mechanics yeah basically yeah. but and, and then the balance the balance the game balance is also very very wild like uh we we on the chat have been like checking out the message boards and we found we found the the developer say in one post like if you're getting one shot by an enemy that probably means you're going the wrong way because the game is like relative relatively open in where you want to go in terms of general areas but then in another post says well if you're getting one shot you're not necessarily in the wrong place which is like oh cool we we love to hear uh yeah so i i would have given up on this game just out of sheer frustration but I decided to be a, a scumbag, and I'm using Cheat Engine, and I'm just hacking my stats to be OP <laughs> as hell. Because mm-hmm. I, I still, after playing, I think we're at 10 hours in this game or something, or 8 or something, I still have no idea what the hell the social deduction thing is supposed to be. And I, I, don't, think I, can, I don't think I can quit this game without knowing what the hell that's actually supposed to entail may, or involve. I may have solved at least one of them for you. Um. So you have Levi as a character, right? Yeah. And and you have friend friend or foe or friend or enemy. Levi anagrams to evil, Neil. I think <laughs> I think what you need to do is you need to mark Levi definitely in the enemy category as soon as possible. I mean, you might be right. The uh, fucking Jin Conception spoiler, by the way. This is something that was hidden from all the screenshots, but the, the ninth person that's hidden uh from all of these screenshots uh turns out to be Slevi. And who's no. Slevi? <laughs> Slevi is when Levi falls asleep. When Levi is asleep, sleep. <laughs> Slevi awakens. And, and it's it's just Levi with his eyes closed. Oh. I'm glad you're talking about this because I miss out on all of this streaming stuff. Oh, it's fucking and it sounds nuts. It's a nightmare. It, it's I, a really I mean, fun nightmare. It is It is really cool, though, because it is sort of the exact counterpoint or antithesis to what we were talking about with, like, these zero escape games or whatnot, where instead of having, like, uh, event and consequence or, like, circumstance, it's just like, yeah, it just is. Everything is, and you have to in- intuit why or uh what that means for you as far as your actions and uh agency in the game before before i use this as like my jumping off point um or before i conclude uh Jin before Conception, you tuck and roll out of the car i i do want to say that like the artwork is pretty good like i i would say good maybe great i i don't know it, it's obviously a pixel um pixel art it reminds me of fantasy star it reminds me of uh but but like everything it looks good the sprites the sprite work itself uh maybe has a little more of like a chrono trigger 
uh, appeal to it, which, like, if we're talking classic JRPGs, I think Chrono Trigger has some of the better-looking sprites. Uh, they look great. There. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, and, and like, this game, it, it visually looks really cool. The enemy designs are kind of goofy and fun. Like, you know, anything from these fucking girl, like, these Japanese sailor uniform-wearing schoolgirls, which doesn't really fit anything within the game scope as far as i can tell that then will kick uh like roly-poly like beetles at you repeatedly and then you just get one shot and that's back to the balance issue to uh to like these twig monster things that wear helmets and have like crudely crafted spears like the the enemy design's pretty interesting and such everything from the visual elements pretty interesting and the music is actually pretty nice too like I listen to some tracks and I hear maybe some awkward voicing, chord voicing at times. And there are some points where I definitely hear like some dissonance where it almost feels like they got like the, the meat, the meat and potatoes down in the song. And then they're starting to add counter melodies that are maybe departing like the appropriate scale for that particular piece. But I mean, it's still all sounds fine and good the arrangement's not bad every everything about this game outside of the script and like the coding element i think is really pretty solid overall so like i i don't want to just dismiss this game as like uh, as you know i i don't want to dismiss the game like those those elements of it i think there's actually some good stuff to this game and like and it's been really enjoyable just maybe not necessarily as the game developer necessarily designed it to be uh, but like at the end of the day, I, I, I am really enjoying playing the game. So I want to drive home that point. It's been very fun playing this game. I've had a blast. Uh, I would not I would not uh, have it any other way. Is what I'd say. You got uh, anything else to talk about? Any other games? Anything you want to speak of? You finished Omori. Uh, I know we haven't necessarily... Finish talked about that on stream um and maybe we we don't necessarily have time to this week i'm not sure but we can talk next time for sure because besides 999 which i'm sure will take a little bit of time uh as a like definitely as a push to go ahead and start on this i got a venmo payment uh that uh was i think very clear about what I was supposed to spend the money on. It was like uh, Big Mommy something. So Resident Evil 8 has been downloaded onto my uh, computer and I will be uh, playing... We'll be playing some Resident Evil Village soon. I, I just see. started that too. Oh yeah. Well, Tiff, Tiff and I are like handing off the controllers, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard, it is leaning heavier into the action-oriented uh, sort of, yeah, the action-oriented vibe compared to the sort of, um, like, asymmetrical strength thriller or horror of Resident Evil 7's at least intro or initial part of the game. And so I'm kind of looking forward to that because in the first person, it feels really good sort of mouse and keyboard to, to you know, like shoot in that game and whatnot and what is fun about resident evil is sort of the interaction with uh character models with the shooting because they're responsive to damage at different locations and whatnot and headshots are hard as shit because they're always 
holding their head still for half a second and then swaying just all around um, just as a tease. So I can't wait to play. Uh, all I know is that, you know, you have Lady D. Uh, no, I'm not even going to try and say her name. You know what? Not worth it. You have Lady D and her three daughters, I believe. Um, and then you have a bunch of other, like, sort of... Uh, Victorian or like sort of gothic horror elements. I think there are definitely going to be some werewolves in this. So looking f looking forward to that particular horror vibe. I do appreciate in the Resident Evil games how each game has a little bit different take on whatever is causing sort of like undead monsters. Um, whether it be like the Las Plagas from 4 um or the like very sort of clean cut virus in like Resident Evil 2. Um interesting to see what causes vampirism and werewolves and is it mold? Because I won't believe that. <laughs> Dude, fuck the mold. I I mean what what little bit I've played, I won't share any spoilers or anything, but it really does seem like enemy variety is way better than seven and that was like the big issue i think a lot of uh, people had in seven the fucking mold monsters there were two there were three types of mold monster and two of them were sort of big jokes and one of them was just like very confusing on the optimal way to beat them besides being very very quick and good at a headshot and that was the that was the quick moving sort of like crawler ones yeah the um Enemy variety's good. Uh, I think the game's still fucking terrifying. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure it's spooky. I'm I, just glad that it probably won't be spooky in the gross factor that 7 was, because 7 just yucked me out real hard. I won't, uh, I won't comment on the, the gross part I, quite yet. I'm saying less room temperature refrigerators and more gore is fine by me. Oh, okay, okay. So it's specifically like the... Yeah, no, I, I share that same sort of thing where if like something gets left in the fridge for a month, like I am not the person cleaning Horrifying. that. Horrifying. Yeah. Unless it was my fault. Like if, if, if I was the cause of this, then yes, I will, I will do it. But that Otherwise, doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that's not for you. That's not your problem. Uh, it's funny too because like those kinds of things, especially from like my background, molecular biology, it's like, yeah, I see nasty shit growing on a Petri dish all the time. But in the context of the Petri dish, no problem whatsoever. But I find that shit on food and I'm just like, you're not supposed to be here. Like you violated a sacred tenet of uh you know this space. Well, it's because you you essentially have a contained environment. You're in power there. But when it's in your when when it's in your fridge, when it's uncovered and in your fridge, it's all it it all needs to burn. I do like how we are exploring the the philosophical power dynamics between man and mold. Like it is making me respect Resident Evil Seven even more now. The fact that it's also called Biohazard too, like honestly, completely slipped over my fucking head the first time. Uh, you know, playing the game and not even associating like, oh, mold. Mold is like absolutely like. There is no better way to characterize it than biohazard yeah. uh, in that case. And just like completing the game and still not making that connection until later. It really goes back to the roots, actually, when you think about it, right? This one's got to be about uh, this one's got to be about child rearing, right? It takes a village, Resident Evil Village. Oh, God, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> uh, I, I will say just as a quick jumping off point on Resident Evil 8. Um, the uh 
the game certainly does feel more actiony, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. They're straight up. They're straight up a uh, a point where where you, you, obviously you played four, but there's straight up a point. Fucking loved four, yeah. There's a point where you 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 find something and you're just like, oh yeah, no, this is definitely just res. This definitely has like that Resident Evil four action element to it. First person, mm. of course, though. Okay. Um, doesn't keep me from being terrified. I it's just the first person element to it. Like when when I am disconnected from the person, when I'm looking at Leon Kennedy's bull haircut or whatever you want to call it, his his side part, and uh, watching him roundhouse kick things, it's way easier for me to detach myself from the situation and consider it less of like a fight or flight situation for myself. But when it's, it's the first so person. funny too, because that camera angle, like the third person, and sort of the tank controls are supposed to make you feel more vulnerable and isolated. But it absolutely, yeah, like compared to a first person view, I think it it sort of it really misses the mark on that when you do this the head to head comparison on them. It yeah. feels like you're in more control because you have more awareness at least in the fact that like with leon i can see for maybe half a second before i get grabbed from behind that there's like a hand coming into motion as opposed to me like focusing on something and then if i can get grabbed from behind and turned around in first person i'm gonna pee my pants like that will scare me yep yep no and and what what makes it like kind of fail versus down to the time uh when you when you look at how effective the tank control and camera angle is with Resident Evil 1 through 3 and Code Veronica and, you know, the other games that have come since then, those are effective because they use essentially cinematic-style camera angles to draw you in and leave you sort of puzzled as to what's around the other corner. Like, they're, yeah. they're u- utilizing other, other dynamics that they, can, that they can, you know, deliver a, a suspenseful situation. But, like... They're limiting the strength of that... Uh, of that three-dimensional or uh not three-dimensional third person view yeah whereas effectiveness is being mitigated that way whereas obviously like in in four five six uh and remake uh remake two it's like it feels more like you're playing mass effect well wait wait wait. mass effect yeah mass effect is third person over, over the shoulder right yes yep it's when you aim though it can go into first person on certain weapons I think so. Yeah. yeah. First sniper rifle for certain. And then other stuff, I think, zooms so far down the shoulder and it's centered well enough that it, it is close to first person in that regard. So maybe it's that sort of aesthetic. Obviously, like Resident Evil 4 predates Mass Effect entirely, but like maybe it's just there's something about that range or angle or view. And then obviously going to first person puts you into their position entirely, which is what I think makes it most effective. It's something that you can equate to like when you're walking down a dark hall, maybe something triggers in your in your mind of you walking down like a dark hall as a kid and being worried about things around you. And what's that noise outside? It's raining. Is that just an owl? Who knows? Maybe it's the mold men. Uh, last question, Neil, before we sort of wrap it all up. First Dead Space game. First person remake. Would you play it? Fuck no. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I say fuck no as in like, I'm I'm sure like I'll probably get roped into it, but fuck like if I were in charge of my own destiny, no, hell no. Like <laughs> Dead Space was already scary, and it was it that you know third person camera angle. Yeah, I didn't oh, finish man. Dead yeah. Space because I'm a coward. Good game. It is scary as shit. I feel like a first person uh, view of it in a couple scenarios in particular would 
absolutely wrecked me. But that's all I've got for content for today. Wait, when, uh, when you say that, is that in the works or is there a rumor? No, 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 no. Okay. This is total hypothetical. Thank goodness. But I am working on it right now. <laughs> I've hired the development team. That's right. Yeah, I, that's it for the podcast, guys. That's episode. Uh, that's the end of episode three, season one. Season one, episode three. You got any closing words for the for the audience? Uh, if it's as warm where you're at right now, go out and enjoy a hammock. Uh, hammocks rule. That's what I'm about to do. <laughs> <laughs>